I'm gonna train my earthly home for a better one, bright and fair. Christ left to prepare a mansion for his children in the air. I'll join him in that land where tears no sorrow can be found. And I'll receive my mansion, mansion, golden crown. Good afternoon. It is Saturday, March 17th, 2018. And today we will wrap up our uh, reading for the week in Luke chapter 6. Uh, if you haven't had the opportunity to, to listen in on the previous lessons and the previous readings that we've done, gone through this week um, in our reading from Luke chapters 2 through 6, you can find those here on our Facebook page or you can go to our website, loveland.church, and you can find out all about the church that meets here in Loveland Heights as well as catch up on those previous lessons I just mentioned up in the media tab and just click on daily Bible study. You'll also notice that there's an option for sermon audio. We do keep track and, and uh, update that sermon audio, those sermons uh, weekly uh, so you can catch up on, on previous lessons that we've done. Each Sunday we do gather together uh, and uh, of course worship and uh, take time for, for Bible study and prayer and, and uh, praise together. Uh, and also, of course, there's a lesson that comes with that. And that lesson is often is always comes from the reading from, from our week. So this week's lesson uh, from Luke chapters 2 through 6 is uh, about Jesus' birth, uh, found in Luke chapter 2. Uh, and we're going to look at the three Ps of Jesus' birth. Uh, the fact that Jesus' birth was prophesied, that it was promised, and that it was proclaimed. Uh, those three P's are uh, important in understanding the significance of Jesus' birth. And uh, while we're not going to just do this around Christmas time, I think it's important to always be reflective and remember the birth of Christ and understand the significance surrounding it. Of course, as we approach Easter and the time in which we often reflect on uh, Christ's resurrection and uh and all that, it's it's also important, of course, to consider why his birth was significant. Of course, his resurrection is significant, but without the birth, the resurrection, the death, the sacrifice, none of that could have happened. And so uh, we're going to look at why that was significant uh, tomorrow. And uh, Bible classes start at 10 a.m. for all ages, and then at 11 o'clock uh, we'll gather together for our time of worship. So I hope you can join us for that. And one last plug, if you don't mind, please share this video to your uh, Facebook uh, timeline. You just hit that share button, maybe leave a comment, uh, inviting people to join in with the study that you're doing uh, as we get into Luke chapter 6. Turn over there, if you haven't already, to Luke chapter 6, and let's begin uh, our reading this afternoon. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And he also gave it to those with him. And he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Now, of course, we don't have as much detail uh, in Luke's account, as as we have had in, in other accounts in terms of Matthew and Mark's accounts of this uh, occurrence. In, in those accounts, of course, we saw, um, you know, a little bit more conversation with the Pharisees. And, and really, the, the key aspect to this is that, yes, Jesus is the Son of Man, and He is Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was created for God. It, was, it, is, it is for Him. He created it for Him, His day of rest. Um, 
But ultimately, um, what the Pharisees are saying here is you're not allowed to eat on the Sabbath. And of course, that's not against the law. You're allowed to eat on the Sabbath. What they were worried about and what they were um, fussing over was the fact that they were rubbing the grain. They were working for their food, if you will. Which is silly if you think about it, but hey, that's what happens when you follow traditions of men and not the heart of the law. Verse 6, again, continuing with these Sabbath attacks that the Pharisees like to bring upon Jesus. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath, he being Jesus. Um, And they did this so that they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there. And Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or or to destroy it? And after looking around at them all, he said to him, Stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. So Jesus asked him, Is it good, is it lawful to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it on the Sabbath? Now, the Pharisees don't really answer because they know what the answer is, and they know that if they answer it correctly, that then um, they have no right to, to be angry with him. But they're angry nonetheless, and I think a lot of it stems from jealousy. Jesus is doing mighty things, and if he is the the Messiah, which everyone seems to be proclaiming and believing, um, then their end is coming. You know, they're they're not going to be uh, holding positions of power for much longer. Verse twelve. In these days, Jesus went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew his brother, James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who is called the Zealot, and Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. And then you have the twelve apostles being called. Notice that Jesus called all his disciples and chose the twelve. It's almost like choosing the kickball team, um, except uh, not really. But... Uh, you can see there that from amongst them, these 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 men all stood out to Jesus um, for things that they have done. And notice that Judas was one of them. Judas was not chosen by Jesus to be the betrayer. Judas was chosen because he held some significance as a disciple. Judas fell away, as did all of the disciples. And I think a lot of times we, we hone in on, on just the evil of Judas because He's the one who betrayed Christ, and and really the and the the um, gospel writers do the same because they whenever they're referring to Judas in this way, they often refer to him as a traitor. But really, when it comes down to it, they all were kind of traitors. Peter denied Christ three times. The others abandoned him in the garden. So, why is Judas singled out? Well, it's because Judas never got the the salvation part of it. He never got the redemption part. Yes, he he um, he uh, became a traitor. He betrayed Jesus. But part of me wonders if he would have come to Jesus with a penitent heart, if Jesus would have forgiven him. I think he would have, because he did to Peter. 
And I really don't think what Judas did and what Peter did is really that much different in the grand scheme of things. Yes, Judas gave Christ up to be killed, but that was a purpose. That served a purpose. That served God's purpose. And we see in Judas's story later on that he was remorseful. He was broken that what he had done ultimately would lead to Jesus' death, and so he went and killed himself. And thus, the final sin and, and no, no seeking of forgiveness, the hardness of heart, and perhaps just the, the outright sorrow of, of what he had done um, overwhelmed him. But um, you have to wonder, you have to wonder, had he returned to Jesus uh, when Jesus was raised, and had Judas truly believed that Jesus would raise on the third day, if he would have waited and heard that Jesus had rose again, that he would go to him and seek his forgiveness. And I believe wholeheartedly that Jesus would have forgiven him. But let's not be too dogmatic about it. Um, it's just interesting. I, I wanted to point out the interesting part that, that Judas is, is always pointed out as the traitor when really they all betrayed him in some way um, at the end of his life. Verse 17. And he came down with them and stood on a level place, he, them being the, the apostles. He came down with the apostles. I, I think the disciples are probably a part of this as well because they were there as well. So them would include the whole group. And, of course, the apostles are just a subsection of the disciples. Um, and he came down with them and stood on a level place with a gr uh, great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases and those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him, and he and healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples, and he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to their to the prophets. I had that highlighted. It's just part of my study Bible. Uh, I have that highlighted because it's a, it's a key element to Christianity, I think. Um, we're going to talk more about that as we kind of continue here. But notice that Luke's account of the Beatitudes, um, this, this section mirrors very closely the Sermon on the Mount. And so we have four Beatitudes compared to, I believe, Matthew had uh, nine, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think Matthew had nine Beatitudes. Uh, Luke hones in on four, but then he talks about the four woes. So these next woes actually counter, they're, they're kind of the, the other side of the coin from the, the, uh, the Beatitudes. Verse 24, But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. So again, we have a, a counter to, to those um, beatitudes that Jesus spoke. Um, now each of these um, speaks to where satisfaction comes from. Those who find their satisfaction from any source other than God um, will be rejected by God, will be, will be rejected by the Lord. The contrast between the, the, the Beatitudes here and the woes reveals a clear role reversal within the kingdom. Those, and this is the, 
this is what I wrote in the in the text of the the post here. Those whom the world blesses are not necessarily the same as those who God blesses. The world holds up a lot of people. The world holds up a lot of people who are sinners that are living in sin and and the world lifts them up and, and heralds them. But that's quite the opposite of what God sees and what God blesses. And a lot of times too I think about I think about teens, I think about young young people who um who try to fit in, who try to who try to fit into the world. You know, everybody's doing this, everybody's you know, you know, there's just this concept of I got to I got to be a part of the world. I got to, you know, I have all these friends at school and I need to I need to kind of connect with them. Uh and so I need to do these things to be able to connect with them. But in reality, what God desires is for for you to connect with him. You know, and all that other stuff will come. You know, Jesus even even with the family, he said, "Where who are my mother and brothers and sisters?" And he looked around and he said, "These those who do the will of my father are my mother, my my brother, and my sisters. Those are my people. We don't have to be friends of the world. We're in the world, but not of the world, right? Verse 27. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And for one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. There's that golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. In fact, just had a conversation with Caleb about that today. Our oldest son, uh, his, his younger brother, our middle son, uh, hit him. And Caleb hit him back. And Caleb's justification was... Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. <laughs> I had to explain to him. I said, Caleb, do you want him to hit you? And he said, well, no. I said, then you don't hit him. If you don't want to be hit, then you don't hit. That's what do unto others as you would have them do unto you means. Not, he did that to me so I can do it to him. Parenting is so much fun. And sometimes I think God sees those kind of interactions with our children and thinks, yeah. I know. <laughs> now you know how I feel, right? Uh, verse 32. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those who, from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good. And lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. So in the Beatitudes and the Woes there, we see the connection of, or, or the, rather the contrast, in, in terms of um, how the world sees people and how God sees people, and, and, and the relationships that they have. The next section there that we just read, it contains a significant application to that role reversal within the kingdom that we talked about. 
Jesus tells his disciples to love your enemies, to do good to those who hate hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. And then Jesus explains why this is significant. See, even sinners love those who will return their love. God's people are supposed to love their enemies because they choose to live like God. They choose to live righteously. We love our enemies because God loves his enemies. That's what Jesus is saying here. You see, as Christians, we sometimes may lose sight of God's kindness and his mercy and his love toward us as his enemies. And that love and kindness and mercy, it's worth remembering because it's in our best interest. Titus 3, verses 1 through 5 says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. And in Romans 5, 8, uh, God shows his love for us that uh, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Even while we were still his enemies, Christ died for us. So in order to love our enemies, we act in their best interests. We don't just talk kindly of them or share positive feelings. Sure, that's part of it. But the ultimate goal here is to look out for their best interests. That's the most selfless thing one can do. And that's what God did. And that's what Christ did. Now this charge, this, this task, is difficult. The greatest test of loving like God is to love those who hurt us, those who choose not to return our love. I know it's not easy. I struggle with it. I think it's human nature to struggle with it. But remember, it's not about human nature. It's about heavenly nature. What is righteous? What is living righteous? Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. This whole section here, of course we talked about judging in Matthew and, and the Sermon on the Mount there. We won't go into too much detail on that, but the, the, you know, the speck in the eye, the log in the eye, the, the speck of sawdust, the plank, whichever you want. The whole key to this is that you need to look internally first. When you see something wrong in somebody else's life, first of all, guess what? That's a judgment that you have to make. If you see something sinful in their life, you need to look, I think the word is introspectively, you need to look inside you need to evaluate yourself and be sure that you're not guilty of the same thing or guilty of any other thing that, that could harm you going to someone and saying, Hey brother, 
I see that you have a speck in your eye because it's probably very easy for that brother to look right back at you and say hey brother you got a log in yours it's all about living righteously right, that's just the overarching theme here of Matthew or I'm sorry Luke chapter 6 and here's the last sections verse 43 for no good tree bears bad fruit nor does any uh, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit for each tree is known by its fruit for figs are not gathered from thorn bush bushes nor are grapes pick, picked from a bramble bush the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks again this section break right here doesn't exist in the text take the speck out before you try to pick the law or take the log out of your eye before you try to take, uh, take the speck out of your brothers why because if you're a bad tree guess what you're bearing bad fruit and how can a ba bad tree bear good fruit how can a bad tree go up to another tree and say hey man your fruits bad because that's that tree is just gonna look back at the other tree and say hey man so's yours just picture the tree the creepy trees in Wizard of Oz for that picture well, that, that's what Jesus is saying in both of those sections it's all about living righteously because if a brother can look at you and say that guy right there or that woman right there they live righteously they do the right thing they love their enemies they love those who don't love them in return they are kind they are gentle they are merciful and they just came to me and said that I'm doing something that I need to change guess what they're gonna be more likely to listen to you Pride will always get in the way, but they're more likely to be humble and honest and listen if you are as well in your own life. Verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Again, this all ties together. I hope you can see that. I hope that, I hope that the connections to all of this are, are very clear, because it really is. It's a fantastic uh, just series of, of illustrations and, and parable teachings that that gives us so much insight into what it means to live like Christ live like God to live a righteous life do what he says love unconditionally love as Christ loved us and for those who don't do it you're not building your house on the foundation of Christ you're not building your house on the rock you're building your house on a shaky, loose foundation that will not stand. I hope this study has been beneficial to you and kind of opened you up to, to look into the, the Word a little bit more and, and dive deeper as you continue uh, with us. I hope you're joining with us as we're going through the New Testament together in 2018. Uh, if you have any questions about this, uh, this study or previous lessons, uh, you can again go back and watch them on our Facebook page. You can feel free to leave a comment. In the comment section, the beauty of technology, the beauty of Facebook is 
I get alerted when that happens. So I can come back and I can answer that question uh, if I can find the answer. If I w can't find the answer, guess what? I'll be honest with you and I'll tell you, I don't know. I'm going to do some more studying. But nonetheless, we want to hear from you. If we can assist you in any way, uh, you can always reach out to us privately at info at leveland.church. We want to help you. We want to, we want to be there for you. We want to study with you, pray for you, whatever we can do to help you. We're here. Hope to see you tomorrow. We'll gather uh, together at 10 a.m. for Bible classes for all ages and at 11 a.m. for worship. I hope you can join us. If so, we'll see you tomorrow. Have a great rest of your day. God bless. Better one bright and fair Christ left to prepare a mansion For his children in the air I'll join him in that land Where tears no sorrow can be found And I'll receive my mansion Mansion robe and crown The weather there is always fair There is sunshine day and night No cold and no rain will fall there For the sun shines ever bright